Welcome back, my fellows, to the brand new episode of the Middle East Beast Podcast. This is episode 68. We're going to talk about Israel in this one, and it's going to be grand. As always, my name is Malika, and I'm your host with my expert, Jack, and we're going to chat about some Holy Land. So to start off, how did Israel get formed? In the time of the Ottoman Empire, the Middle East was made up of two major populations, the Arabs and the Jewish. The Ottoman Empire was in conflict with the Allies during World War I, and they used tactics to bring the Ottoman Empire to the ground. The British and French promised a large homeland for the Jews and the Arabs if they started a revolution against the Ottomans. The British promised Palestine to both the Arabs and the not-yet-formed Israeli state. Well, that sounds like it's not going to end well. It didn't, and violence between the two cultures over the control of Palestine ultimately ended up as a discussion in the UN. The UN's solution was to divide Palestine into two parts, giving the Jewish side on half and the Arabs on the other. Oh, but that sounds like everything got resolved. We're just getting started. Nothing actually got resolved, as the Arabs argued against the resolution and wanted an Arab state that recognized a Jewish minority. When their proposal was not accepted, the Arab countries of Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan all started building up their armies to go to war with the new state of Israel. Can you summarize the rest of the independence war? Sure. The war is broken up into phases, so I'll start with the first phase where the Arabians living in Israel launched a civil war against the Jewish, and at one point had all routes in and out of Israel controlled and were destroying Israeli supply trucks. But with the Jewish military superiority, the Palestinians did not yet stand a chance. Well... What happened next was all those countries I named earlier were now calling themselves the Arab League. They fought around Israel and Jerusalem in attempts to capture it. So is Israel versus every bordering country? Yes, though the armies of the Arab League were ill-prepared, to say the least. Israel launched an airstrike on the Egyptian airfields, destroying nearly the entire Egyptian air force. To catch them by surprise, at the same time, the Israelis had launched a ground offensive into the Gaza Strip. The Egyptian president called for his troops to retreat from Sina, but Israel captured the West Bank before the Jordanians' army could even have a chance to get there. Egypt and Jordan signed a ceasefire on June 8th, with Israel crippling their militaries. Wow, quite the struggle just to have a homeland. So now that we've covered the difficult formation of Israel, do you think Israel is in the right or the wrong? Well, this is why the Israel-Palestine conflict is so controversial. The Jewish need a land of their own, but that land happens to have been promised to the Arabs by the British years ago. It's very complicated, and I don't think there is really a good or bad side of the war. Both sides use and use ruthless methods of attack and defense on one another and plague the Middle East with more violence. That's really interesting. So now that we've covered the early history of Israel, what's next on our list of things to talk about? Well, I think we should go on to less than 10 years later when the Yom Kippur War started. This was the Arabs trying to get their revenge on the state. Both sides had funded backed by the two global superpowers, the U.S. supporting Israel and the USSR supporting the Arab countries. How large of a role did the superpowers have in the war? Well, during Yom Kippur, the U.S. flew over 20,000 tons of tanks, guns, and other military equipment in Operation Nickel Grouse. So what happened in the Yom Kippur War? The Egyptians launched an offensive and crossed the Suez Canal in their Operation Badr, in which the Egyptian forces crossed the lines of ceasefire and advanced into the Sinai Peninsula, 
Israel once again was forced to defend their new territory and countered the Egyptian offensive successfully, resulting in a stalemate with the Egyptians on the Sinai Peninsula. While this was happening, the Syrians were trying to take back the Golan Heights and try to win back some territory while the Israelis were fighting the Egyptians. Before we finish Yom Kippur, who were some leaders that were influencing this war? The leader of Israel at this time was Menachem Begin, who had been a politician and influenced military decisions in the Six Days War. He was the president of Israel, who even won a Nobel Peace Prize for his actions during Yom Kippur, but I'll talk about that later. The Israelis were facing attacks from multiple fronts, but despite that, they pushed the Syrians back into a ceasefire established after the Six Days War. In response, Israel launched a counteroffensive into Syria, but were unsuccessful because of the returning threat of the Egyptians who were moving back into the front in fear of the fall of Syria. The Israelis had countered this attack successfully too, and decided to move their attack from Syria to Egypt, and attempted to attack in between where the Egyptian army had been split up because they went into different attacks. The Israelis moved towards Suez, an Egyptian city, but were met with the Egyptian army firing back at them. The Israelis were able to win the battle by circling in on the Egyptian armies and taking control of Suez. Did Israel push deeper into Egypt? No, they did not. Thanks to the two leaders of the battling countries, Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin, had been discussing a peace treaty and signed the Camp David Accords. Sadat went to Jerusalem and proposed the peace treaty in return for the Sinai Peninsula. Menachem Begin signed the peace treaty with Egypt, giving Egypt the Sinai Peninsula back, which ultimately got him awarded the Nobel Peace Prize that I mentioned. What lovely boys. I guess you could say that. Well, that was certainly a great history lesson. Now we're going to move on to our next segment, the present. Now I know the conflict continues today, so tell us what happened about Yom Kippur that caused fighting to, con to continue around Israel. All right, I'll start with the PLO, basically the angry Palestinians who want and wanted to not only establish Palestine and Israel, but to harm as many Israeli citizens as they could. Now the PLO was, was established before Yom Kippur even started but they didn't take that much action until after. The PLO set up camp in Jordan, but after a while, the PLO's influence trumped that of the Jordanian government themselves after two failed assassination attempts on the King of Jordan by the PLO trying to overthrow the Jordan monarchy, the Jordanians retaliated in what is known as Black September. Can you summarize Black September? It started with the Jordan army surrounding the cities with PLO influence that held their position until the PLO surrender. The Jordanians let the PLO leave Jordan through Syria to get to Lebanon, where they would stay. After the PLO went to Lebanon and started a civil war against Lebanon and tried to make it their own country, the PLO committed ruthless attacks on Israeli people in the Coastal Road Massacre and attempted assassination on an Israeli ambassador. This resulted in Israel launching an invasion of southern Lebanon. They, they attacked PLO camps and most members fled the country. Israel stayed in Lebanon and fought the PLO in what is known as the Lebanon War from 1982 to 1985. What happened during the Lebanon War? Well, the Israeli army surrounded the PLO and the Syrians in southern Lebanon with the help of the Free Lebanon State. Expecting a massacre, the U.S. convinced Israel to let the PLO free and not to start more trouble than need be. What happened to the rest of the PLO? The PLO relocated themselves to Tripoli, and the Israeli left Lebanon free of PLO and Syrian influence. What's next for the Israelis' endless struggle for peace? Well, I think we'll move on to the Israeli Scud missile attacks during the Gulf War. 
fought between the U.S. and terrorist forces in Iraq throughout the Middle East. Despite public outrage, the Israelis did not fight back and remained neutral because of the U.S. heeding them not to do so. After this, Israel entered a brief period of peace in where Israel's new prime minister, Yitzhak Rabin, and his party called for a compromise to Israel's neighbors. After a lifetime of violence, the PLO agreed and were allowed to govern parts of the West Bank and Gaza Strip after they pledged to end the terrorism. Then in 1994, Jordan signed a peace treaty with Israel. Wow, so things started getting better for Israel. Things were pretty mellow for about six years until 2000, where Israel offered a Palestinian state making up the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. But after controversial visits from leaders and some possible shady planning, an uprising began in what is known as the Second Infinata. What were the biggest actions taken in the Second Infinata? The Second Intifada was a period of intense violence between Israel and the PLO and ended with thousands of casualties on both sides in 2005. Well, we're almost caught up to the present day. What happened after the Second Infinata? The Gaza War in 2008 started after constant rocket attacks into Israel from the Gaza Strip that the Israelis had given to the Palestinians, who are now angry and terrorizing Israel once again. To this day, conflict and tensions run through Israel and will most likely continue for a long time. Well, that's a good note to end our podcast on. Thank you for coming on our show. See you all next week.